0: was a good uh, offertory to go with the message today as we begin to look at the Lord's Prayer. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Today we're only going to really look at verse 9, but I want us to start reading in verse 7 and read through the prayer in verse 13. Uh, we're going to take several weeks on the Lord's Prayer and break it down thought by thought, line by line to some degree. But I want us to to hear the whole thing in context today. Uh, We've been hearing what Jesus has had to say in these last few weeks leading up to this model prayer that He gives us, talking about the whole idea of don't be as the hypocrites are. Don't be showy in your prayers. Don't be showy in your giving. Don't be showy in your fasting. But rather than that, be Be conscious of who you're talking to, who you're giving to, who you're fasting before. Before. It's not the world. It's not other believers even. It's all done in the presence of and before the Lord, our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, So Jesus says, I want you to understand this matter of Christianity, this matter of faith, this matter of really walking as you ought to walk, not as the hypocrites walk, is a very important matter in the life of the believer. You know, I I dare say if you go out on the street today and you ask the average person who doesn't go to church, why do you not go to church? And and the typical answer will be, well, why should I go to church? A church is just filled with what? Hypocrites anyway. Now, I have a little flip answer I usually give them, and that is, well, come on down. One more won't hurt. But But it's more serious than that. It really is. I mean... To some degree, the world has a a real complaint against us that is valid. Because far too often, we come and we we say one thing. We sing these great hymns, immortal, invisible, God-only wise. And then during the week, we try to rely on our own wisdom, not the wisdom of Almighty God. We come and sing, Christ, you are my all in all. And, and those are great words and a great affirmation and a great statement of faith. But yet we live the rest of the week as though Christ really doesn't matter. Like, like He really is an important part of our life, 24 hours, one day a week. But that's it. We, we, we try to put up a front. The, the word masquerade comes from the idea of you know playing a part. The, the, the hypocrite comes from the idea of masquerading, playing a part, not just not, not reality, but something that's done on a stage for a short period of time. But when it translates into real life into everyday life, Jesus said that is a real problem for my church. And so he says, don't pray as the hypocrites, don't fast as the hypocrites. don't, uh, don't give as the hypocrites, but rather let your prayer, your giving, your fasting, Be with sincerity before the Lord. He says in verse 7, And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. When you pray, don't pray like the Gentiles. We looked at what the Gentiles prayed like last week when we talked about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and how they were repeating themselves, repeating themselves, cutting themselves trying to show their sincerity before God. And then Elijah steps up to the after repairing the altar and prepares to show who God really is. And he says, just simply, Lord, show these people who you are and rain down your fire and fire rained down and destroyed the altar, totally burned it up and even lapped up all the water that was pouring in trenches all around it. I mean, it didn't take a lot of repetition. It didn't like take a lot of show. God just responded. And Jesus says, that's the way you ought to be. And that doesn't mean you can't continue to pray for something that you have a real burden for. That doesn't mean you don't continually go before the Lord about various things. But it does mean that just meaningless repetition, words that have no real meaning to them. We talked about some of those. Some of those evangelical slipstream words that we kind of slide into. You know, that we just, oh Lord, bless us and bless all those that are here. Well, Paul says we don't have to pray for God to bless us. If we're in Christ, we've been blessed with all heavenly blessings. Everything there is, we've already been blessed with. We might pray for God to help us to see those blessings, recognize those blessings, and experience those blessings in a daily walk. But it's not a matter of praying for him to bless us more. He's already blessed us with all blessings in the heavenly places, the Apostle Paul says. But Jesus says when you do pray, don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask it. So then pray then in this way. I want you to understand what Jesus is saying here. He doesn't say, pray this prayer. He's not giving us a rote prayer that it says three or four verses long with four, four to six matters within it that we just sort of sit down and say, okay, I'm going to pray today. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, et cetera, et cetera. We don't just pray that rotely. It's a pattern. It's an example It's an outline, if you will, of how our prayers ought to be. Now, there are sometimes our prayers might be this short. But if we understand what Jesus is saying here, He's saying these are the manners and the matters about which you are to pray. When you come before the Lord, go to Him in this way, in this manner. He starts out by saying, Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. Several... Years ago, a German theologian wrote a study about the usage of the word Father in the Old Testament. And they, they, in this study, and it's a very lengthy study on the use of the word Father, and, and he found out that while Israel is referred to on many, in many cases as the Son or the sons of God, never in the Old Testament prayers, with, exception, with the exception of one prayer, do you ever find any of the prophets, any of the church, any of the, uh, the patriarchs, or any of the others praying, Our Father? They never address God as Father. They will address Him as Mighty God. They'll address Him as the Sovereign One. They will, expre- uh, most of all, just express Him as Yahweh. But they never, express, they never address Him in an expression as intimate and as real as the word Father. Jesus comes along and breaks that tradition and shatters it all together. And He says, when you pray, you're in a relationship. You're going to be in a relationship with God through me, whereby there will be an intimacy and there will be a love and there will be an experience of His fatherhood in your life. And so when you go before Him, address Him as our Father. Now, I dare say that if we went around the room and asked you, when you pray, how do you start your prayers? 95% of us would probably say, well, most of the time I say, Heavenly Father. Or I'll say, My Father or Our Father when I pray. I mean, most of us use that word to start our prayers. But has it become just what Jesus warned warning against, vain repetition? Is it just because we know that's the way Jesus said to address the Father? Or do we really think about what that means? Our Father... The one who adopted us into your family because of your grace. The one who adopted me into your family and us as the corporate body. It is interesting here that Jesus says, pray our Father, not just my Father. He's not not getting some kind of radical United States of America individualism here. He's talking about as we come together, as we pray together, as we pray separately. Our Father, the one who adopted me, who brought me out of the kingdom of darkness and placed me into the kingdom of your marvelous light. Our Father, there is a, there is a family relationship here that is, is just beyond almost comprehension. The God of the universe. The God who spoke and created Everything. The God who sustains everything there is. The God who is overall and rules over all. The mighty sovereign of all creation has made you a part of His family. And you can address Him legitimately and graciously as Father. There's an eminence to that. There's a closeness to that. And Jesus starts out by saying, listen, I want you to, I want you to sense when, because you are in me and because you have this experience in me, I want you to sense that there is an eminence, there is a closeness, there is a God who is there present with you at all times. I want you to feel that. I know that a lot of my preaching, a lot of my teaching sometimes is very cerebral or or talking about the facts of Scripture, and those are vital and important. But I believe Jesus is saying here that when you bow your head and you bow your heart and you come into the presence of God in prayer, you ought to sense something. You ought to feel something. You ought to know a reality there that is a relationship with your Father through Jesus Christ. It's not rote. It's not ritual it's a reality our Father but just as he talks about the eminence there, he shows us immediately the transcendence of God, our Father who art in heaven he's not our buddy, he's not our pal he's not somebody that just comes around and hangs out with us, but he's our Father who loves us and graciously adopted us, but he is in heaven he's still on his throne, he's still reigning, he's still other than us he's still the Holy One of Israel holy in a way that we cannot even begin to comprehend but holy in a way that is, as some of the Sunday school classes have been studying holy in a way that causes us to pause and stand amazed in the presence uh, in his presence that a god like that would love us so much as to adopt us into his family we know a little bit about adoption we we know what it is in our society I wish you could have met. You'll have the chance to meet. I'm sure you're anxious to hear more about this, but I wish wish you could have met uh, one of our architects that's working with us on the charrette, John Wallace from from Cincinnati. And he came down, and we sat down back here in the back on the second night, and he projected his computer screen up on the wall through the little projector. And all of a sudden, here's John and his wife sitting among all these children, 17 to be exact, And somebody asked him, is that a Sunday school class you teach? And he said, no, that's my family. And somebody said, no, 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 really, who is that? He said, that's my wife and my kids. Well, he said, it's not all of them, there's one missing. Uh, I think it was he had five natural born children and he's adopted 12 into his family. They didn't have a right to be in his family. They had no claim to be in his family. No, nobody could have come up to them and said, listen, here's a little kid who has a special need or here's a kid in a foreign land or here's an orphan in our own country. This pe- this person has a right to be in your family. Couldn't do that. But by His love and His grace and through Jesus Christ, they said, no, but we will choose to bring them into our family. We will, we will accept them as our child, as a part of our family though they have no right to be there by by legal or any other kind of right. Jesus says, I want you to understand the the relationship that exists when you pray, our Father who is in heaven, He is the sovereign in the universe, but He's adopted you. He's brought you into His family. I think He wants us to see who He is. I think he starts out that prayer by saying, you never really pray unless you acknowledge and understand who you're praying to. So often our prayers are for others, aren't they? So often our prayers are so people will hear us. And they will say, oh, how godly that person must be. They used all the right words and all the right inflections and they, they knew how to talk. But When you come to prayer, even even corporate prayer. When I lead you in prayer, in the pastoral prayer, and the reason I always do the pastoral prayers is because I want the privilege of doing this, is starting this time of worship and getting our focus off of us, off of our being here, and our focus on our Father who is in heaven and what He's like, that we might acknowledge Him. Jesus said, Our Father, pray in this way, Our Father who is in heaven. He's imminent and He's transcendent. It's a a miraculous mystery that God is here among us and God is on His throne in heaven. But Jesus says, you you can't miss that. You've got to understand that. And then He says in verse 9, after you say, Our Father who is in heaven, after you get your attention on who you're really talking to, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We don't typically use the word hallowed very often, do we? Hallowed, just the the word it comes from is the Greek word hagios, which is is the word for holy. and It's just saying, our our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name in our presence. May we acknowledge that. May we show that, that your name is holy among us. It's not a casual name. It's not a name that ought to be thrown around like, oh God. You know, that, that some might use as an expression of surprise or ex, an exclamation of, of concern. No, it's a, whole, it's a name that is to be viewed as holy. And we got to know what that name is. Isn't it amazing? He says, Holy, made holy, acknowledged as holy, be your name. What is his name? Well, he's, he's given us. A lot of examples of that. Probably the, the greatest example of the name of God, and we've talked about it many times before, is the experience that Moses had in the wilderness, in the desert. When he was tending his father-in-law's flocks and sheep, and he's walking along one day, and he looks over the side, and he sees a bush burning. Now, I would I would contend to you that that was not the first time Moses had ever seen a bush burn. I mean, out in the desert, a desert and, and the, it might have been a man-made burn. It might have been something else, but... But something caught his attention on this one. It was different than any bush burning he would ever seen. Because this bush was burning, but it wasn't burning up. It wasn't being consumed. And I dare say if you're walking this afternoon out in your backyard and you see some of your shrubbery on fire and it's not being consumed, it would get your attention. You'd move over to see what it was all about. Moses did. And that's where God gave him the call to go down into Egypt where he had left 40 years earlier after killing an Egyptian. And and he said, I want you to go down there. I want you to lead my people out. And Moses went through all the the, the hoops and trying to get out of it and saying, I can't speak and I can't go and why would they listen to me? And finally he says, who shall I say sent me? If I go down there, who shall I say sent me? And the voice out of the burning bush said, you tell them that I am has sent you. Yahweh has sent you. It's that word that the the, Jew, the Jews were so jealous of that name and, and so fearful of that name that they wouldn't even put the vowels in it. They only put four consonants. And they saw those four consonants so it was really an impronounceable name, really. They, they couldn't really fully say it, but they knew that was, a, that was symbolic. They knew that was an understanding of that is our God who has called us and made us a nation. That is our God who has adopted us. That is our God who cares for us. Yahweh. Holy be your name, Yahweh. Now, in our day, we kind of want to rename God, don't we? Sometimes. My biggest pet peeve And I hope I'm, well, I really don't care if you have said this before. Uh, Don't do it again. My biggest pet peeve is, you know, when somebody's talking to me, well, you know, the man upstairs. It's so casual. It's so flippant. Yeah, we got to watch out for the man upstairs. We need to talk to the man upstairs. No, we need to talk to Yahweh. We need to talk to God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need to talk to the one as He has revealed Himself. He doesn't answer by just any name. We don't just come up with our worship. We don't just come up with our names for God. He has revealed Himself as who He is. He has revealed Himself as Yahweh, the self-existent One, the One who was and who is and who is to come, the One who will ever be, the Eternal God. And He gives us the privilege of worshiping Him. Again, I won't get into this today, I will later, but he gives us the privilege of worshiping Him as He says to worship Him, not like we want to worship Him. We, don't, we, we ought not get involved in experimental worship. Ask Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament. If you don't know that, that story, go look it up this afternoon. It will edify you greatly as they are consumed because they decided to experiment with worship a little bit. You see, God says, I am who I am. And you are to hallow that name. You are to make that name holy in your presence. You are to focus on that name. You are to exalt that name. You are to understand that name. You are to understand clearly who you're worshiping, who you're praying to. And the prayer starts out with worship. Every prayer we have ought to start out with worship, whether it's in here or in our home or wherever we are. We worship Him for who He is. And for how he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself as Trinity. He's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, he's revealed himself in that way in a very specific for a very specific reason that we might see him that way. Now, Father and Son doesn't mean that he's a male. We understand that. It's not a put down of women. It's not saying, well, men are more godlike than than, than women are because we're fathers, we're sons, we're male. He's not talking about male. In the garden, in the beginning, it said male and female. He created them in His image. In His image, He created them, male and female. I mean, that's, that's as clear as you can go. We all carry the imprint, the imago Deo, the, the imprint of God, the being created in the image of God. But he, but he did say we're to look at this as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I was amazed... 2 or 3 years ago when the Presbyterian Church met in uh, in Birmingham I believe it was Birmingham Alabama uh, they met for their annual general assembly this was the PCUSA not to be confused with the PCA or the EPC or the OPC uh, you know all presbyterian just as bad as baptists we got a thousand different groups and they do too but the PCUSA met and they're the biggest in the and the and and the most far-reaching, I suppose, and also the most liberal. They, they, they had a study committee that really set out to study the whole concept of the Trinity. And they came back and they said, you know, this Trinity matter, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's way too, it's way too patriarchal. It, it's, too, it's too exalting of men, Father, Son... Holy Spirit. And so they said, you know, we need to come up with some ideas. And so they did on, on pages 8 and 9 of their reports. It's about a 30-page report, 34-page report. But on pages 8 and 9, they, they came up with a plenitude of images for the Trinity. I'll just give you a few that they came up with. They, uh, the first recommendation was that the triune God be referred to as rainbow of promise, ark of salvation, and dove of peace. Well, all of those are True to some degree. They could be illustrious, I suppose, but not a revelation of the Trinity. Another one which was even closer to the actual Hebrew words, uh, the Trinity would be the speaker, the word, and the breath. Well, spirit is reach, which is the word breath in Hebrew, but it still lacks something, I think. I like this one, uh, the triune God ought to be for us, overflowing fount, living water, and flowing river. Can't you see that? Oh, overflowing fount. Living water, flowing river. Uh, He was one proposed that they call the Trinity sun, light, and burning ray. Or gift, no, excuse me, giver, gift, and giving. Or lover, beloved, and the love that binds together lover and beloved. That's the Holy Spirit. Or rock, cornerstone, and temple. Or fire that consumes, sword that divides, and storm that melts the mountains. But my favorite, in a very sarcastic way, I suppose. But my favorite bad imagery is compassionate mother, beloved child, and life-giving womb. You know, let's. I mean, if if that if father, son, Holy Spirit's too patriarchal. That one certainly becomes too matriarchal. It's much more sexist than the other if you're trying to be politically correct and be non-sexist. But here's the point I'm making. There is this attempt by our culture to rename God, to re-express God. The best expression we have is the expression that He has given us in His Word, and we ought to abide by that. Listen, some of you, and we've had discussions on this, and we differ on this, and that's all right, but you know one of my biggest complaints about the book that swept the country, The Shack, is I think it takes too much liberty with God. It takes too much liberty with the presentation of who God is and what God is like. God the Father's is a, a black woman. God the Son is a Middle Eastern man. That's pretty close, or that is closer. And, uh, and the Spirit is an Asian woman, you know, and they're doing all these different conniptions. I mean, not... Not only does it show, does it destroy the the unity of the of the Trinity and having three individuals like that and and showing themselves at different times? But some look at that and say, "Well, what's the big deal?" It really made me feel good. I, I felt forgiveness out of it. And I, I, felt a, I felt a love and a compassion that I don't always feel when I just read the Bible. And, and so I felt that. So what's wrong with just kind of playing around with, with how, God presents him, how God is presented? Because it doesn't present God as God presents himself. And that's problematic, folks. But what's really sadder is that we would come to a point where we would say, well, you know, I... Uh, I just find a greater comfort in a book than I do in the Bible. Remember, years ago when I was in Florida, the book Embraced by the Light was a a big hit then and sweeping through churches. In fact, some of our members had it recommended to them by an associate pastor at a neighboring church, not a Baptist church, but a neighboring church. And and that's the story of Betty Eddy. You know, she died, she went to heaven. Uh, she got up there and she talked to Jesus a while. And Jesus said, I want you to go back with my message. And so she came back to earth and she said, well, here's the deal. Jesus said, go back and tell everybody I'm not the only way. And, and this was sweeping through churches in Orlando, Florida, and I'm sure across the country. And, and, and I had one of my precious senior adult friends come to me and say, Bill, I never wanted to go to heaven as much as I do now after reading this book. And my response was, and it was honest, it wasn't flippant, well if you want to go to heaven on the basis of that book more than you do on the basis of the Bible, you're not going to heaven because that's not heaven what she describes. It's a Gnostic view and then Betty Eddie went on Oprah, I've got, this, I've got to find this clip, I've got it on VHS somewhere and, and when she said that Jesus said, you know, go back and tell them I'm not the only way, there are many ways that lead to me and... All this kind of thing. And Oprah's comment was, oh, yes. I knew Jesus was too cool to say he was the only way. You know? We live in a day that wants to change. That wants to contemporize in a very unhealthy way who God is. Jesus says, listen, when you pray, when you go before God, be sure it's the living God be sure it's not a something that's trying to slip in and distort and lead you astray. And that's why we want to we've got to be discerning folks. We got to read with an eye on the book we're reading and on the scripture. And we got to and, and I had somebody tell me now, well I know that the Bible, you know, it, the the book is not that biblical and it's not all that in agreement with the Bible, but but I really like it. Well, if it's teaching something that's contrary to what the Bible teaches, then we all not even like it. Jesus said, you see, error is like a virus. We've all had viruses. Do you realize that a virus, it gets in your system, and I'm, I'm taking this on faith from what I've read, because uh, I'm not a doctor, nor a biologist, nor a whatever, I'm just a preacher. But I've read that a virus is very, that gets in your body is very, very, very tiny. So tiny that it almost can't, even be, it can't be seen under just a normal microscope. And yet it comes and it attaches itself to you in some way, enters your body, enters your bloodstream, and then it starts multiplying. Now, if that one little virus that got in there had stayed like it was, you probably never would have even known it. But it multiplies and it it grows and it develops, and all of a sudden we find ourselves very, very sick. False teachings are that way. They get in very subtly. Oh, well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a tiny little difference. It's a little bit, but then it changes and it grows and it gets a little bigger and it gets a little more strength. And before you know it, the whole body, in this case, the body of Christ, is ill. Because they've exchanged the truth of the living God and the the revelation of the living God for a subpar God. And we have to be careful about that. We have to be very, very careful about that. Because if we're going to remain strong, if we're going to be, if we're going to be what God has called us to be as a church in Somerset, Kentucky, then we've got to be sure that our focus is on who He is and who he is in reality. Holy be your name. Father, you've brought me into your family. You're the sovereign God of the universe, but you've adopted me into your family. You've given me life. Breath. You've you've raised me from dead. I mean Paul said you were dead in your trespasses of sin, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. You've made me alive! Now, Father, nourish me. Nourish me on who you are. Nourish me on your character. Nourish me on your grace. That's how our prayers ought to begin. Hallowed be your name, I think, is, is us praying for God to be sure that we don't fall into a an era about who He is. Hallowed be Your name, the name that represents all that You are and everything that You are, what we'll never comprehend fully in this life, but what we must bow before. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, be Your name. Jesus says when you start out in praying, get your focus right before you start. Before you get into the 11, 12, and 13, which are kind of personal requests, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins and don't lead us into temptation. Before you start praying that way, you need to be sure that your prayers are focused on the one who is. You need to be sure that you see him as he has revealed himself a glorious truth God help us in our prayer God help us in our worship to stay focused in that direction now what does that mean? well it means our prayers will become a whole lot more intimate I have a feeling that if we begin to see this very beginning part it will mean our prayers will become a lot easier in one respect. You know, some people say, well, I just, I don't know how to, I don't know. I, I want to pray and I start praying and I just run out of things to say. Listen, you can spend a couple hours just telling him how great he is and just focusing on who he is and recalling for your own benefit his characteristic and his character by going to the Word. You know, some of the best prayers that you can find are in the book of Psalms. Go to the Psalms. Go to the prayers of the Apostle Paul. About 13 prayers in his letters. Teach us how to focus, how to pray. Go look at those. Pray those back to him. If you have difficulty in But focus on who God is. In fact, I've mentioned before in an article and. I probably mentioned it verbally too, but on the back table back there, there are about 30 copies. So first come, first serve. They're more needy. We'll get some more, print some more. But there, there's 30 copies of Martin Luther's little book, A Simple Way to Pray. Uh, Martin Luther wrote that for his barber. His name was Peter. I can't say his last name. But but he wrote this book for his barber. He was sitting down one day and his barber was cutting his hair and giving him a shave. And And... Peter, the master barber, asked Martin Luther, the great reformer, the great theologian, the great world changer, Martin, Dr. Luther, I have trouble praying. Can you, can you tell me how to pray? And Martin Luther said, well, sure, I'll, I'll write something down for you. And he went back to his study and wrote down this little pamphlet, A Simple Way to Pray. And he talks about praying the Psalms and praying the Lord's Prayer and and, and praying the, in, that, in this case, praying the, uh, the confession or the creed, the Apostles' Creed. And Luther just breaks down. Here's when you go to pray, focus in these ways. I encourage you to get it and read it. It's 30 pages long and you read it this afternoon. But the truth is, it's about focus. If you learn in your prayer life to focus on who He is, really, who he is. The most liberating, the most freeing, the most exhilarating experience you'll ever have. Because, folks, as I open the pastoral prayer, He has invited us. He has brought us into his, the, the throne of grace. We dare not, we dare not take that lightly, but rather fall on our face and worship the living God. Let's pray. Holy Father Holy 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 Father You are the transcendent one who is imminent You are far above us and so different from us but yet you are so close because you let us be a part of your family and let us call you Father You are the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you teach us to approach you that way. One God, three persons. That stretches our mind. That blows our mind. That, that causes us to look for other ways to understand you. That they're simpler. But Lord, we can never reduce you, the complex and living God, a simpler way. Father, we stand in awe before you. Stand amazed in your presence. Lord, just teach us that prayer begins with worship. Father, I pray for men and women here this morning that don't know you. They don't know any intimacy in prayer because they don't know you. I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will invade their lives this morning. Literally invade their lives and open their eyes to see Jesus the Savior. Father, others come with a myriad of needs. Needs that we can't even begin to understand. And they're, they're hurting this morning. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will comfort them and come alongside them and strengthen them. I, I pray for Joanne this morning, or Joanne and the loss of her mom. I, I pray, Father, you would comfort in ways that we can't even begin to comfort. Father, show yourself, show us your glory least as much as we can bear. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our hymn of commitment is